Great. Well, we're a bit half-termy today, aren't we? We were in Sussex this week. I don't know if you've been all around here or not, but we got stuck <laughs> because uh, it went orange and then it all went red and we thought the windows of the house were going to go. It's the first time I've ever been in a car and been unable to get out because we, par we parked near the beach and uh, the car was kind of side on to the wind and we actually found we couldn't open the, <laughs> couldn't open the door at all. So uh, that was a great experience. Uh, but uh, anyway, hope you're all safe and well. well. I suppose if you're here, you are anyway. Maybe that's where everyone else is still blown away somewhere. So uh, anyway, it's good to be here together. And uh, if you've got a Bible, we're looking at Exodus uh, chapter 34 again. And uh, it's the last in a little kind of mini, mini series we've done, asking the question, uh, what's God like? It's a good question. And uh, if, we, if we don't look in the Bible for that, then we're really left kind of manufacturing the kind of God we'd prefer, which usually ends up looking a bit like us, really, perhaps bigger and a bit kinder, but much, much like us, which is really is just about the same as uh, carving one out of rock or stone, isn't it? Because it's not, it's not really God. It's uh, something of your own invention. And uh, it's the same question, really, what's God like, as Moses was asking all those years again ago in these, in these uh, passages, because they were, they'd come out of slavery. They remembered they had a, Abraham's God, and that's how God introduced himself to Moses. Uh, the God of Abraham, you know, it's me, I'm the God of Abraham. Uh, but they, they kind of learnt that he wasn't like the Egyptian gods uh, because the Egyptian uh, gods were terrifying, really, and you had to kind of appease them, keep on the right side of them, or you'd kind of get mashed or you wouldn't get a harvest. And yet this God liberated them from slavery, uh, fed them through the desert, uh, and um, uh, a very different kind of God. And so Moses says, show me your glory, and God says, well, I'll tell you what i do. I'll, I'll pronounce my name to you. And uh, that brings us to this passage. And we've been looking at it clause by clause. I think this is the sixth time I've spoken on it, sixth and final for the moment. And uh, uh, so just really want to do a, a, a kind of summary uh, of what we've discovered uh, and then ask, well, how do, we how do we respond? How would God want us to respond to that? So let, let me just read you the verses, Exodus 34. Uh, verses 5 to 7, and then we'll look at 12 to 14. So, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. It's capital letters, it's, it's Yahweh, L-O-R-D, it's in the English version. Uh, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground and worshipped. And then verse uh, 12 to 14, um, God says to Moses, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or there'll be a snare to you. Break down their altars, this is the altars of false gods, smash their sacred stones, cut down their poles, don't worship any other god, for the Lord whose, um, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. That's interesting, isn't it? The Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So just to summarise what, what we've uh, learned, uh, really, um, first of all, we've seen that, that God has a name. Uh, God introduces himself with a name. This is, this is Chris, this is Gordon, this is Kyla. God has a, has a name, uh, and, he, and he names himself and introduces himself 
as Yahweh. We kind of we kind of do the same, don't we? You meet someone and you and you're always asking uh, if, they, if it's a work function. Well, what's your, what's your role or what's what's your job and what's your name? And and God has a name. His name is Yahweh, and and, and Yahweh means always. It's kind of strange name, but when you you kind of if you travel around a bit, you get to know people have have kind of different names in different places, and some of them seem a bit strange to you. Uh, Yahweh means always or unchanging. Uh, and it says it, God says it twice at the beginning. It's as if he's kind of double, he didn't have a word processor, he couldn't put it in bold or underline it. So he says it twice for emphasis, is I'm, I'm a personal God and I'm always. And if, if you think about it, we rely on that. What, what if we came in this morning and God was in a bad mood compared to last week? It'd be a bit tough, wouldn't it? If he was gracious one week, like we can be, and ungracious the next week, you think, you know, we all know people looking nowhere. We all know people a bit like that, aren't you? You kind of, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I dare speak to him today because he, you know what he's, you know what he's like, Chris. You know, he's a bit, and and there's a lot in the there, isn't there? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's kind of, we might be loving today, but he might be cruel next week. He might be forgiving today, but next week he might mash you. No, no, his name is Yahweh, he's always, he's the same. And when Jesus comes as, as God in the flesh to show us what God is really like, it's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. So he's utterly consistent. I'm so, I'm so glad, <laughs> I don't want to believe in a, a God, but, but this is how he reveals himself, as an utterly consistent God. And then he goes on, it's a bit listy this morning, sorry about that, he says, the next thing he says, he's compassionate, and we unpack that, we had a week compa- uh, unpacking compassionate and gracious, and compassionate is a, is a feeling word, God is not unfeeling. I'm so, I'm so pleased, you know, you're not, an, to the DHSS or the tax man, I'm just a kind of, I'm a, just a tax code, really. <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the people that do the council tax, I'm just, a, I'm just a, you know, you're a CDE, whatever your house is, you're just a number, aren't you? In so many ways, that's, but to God, no, he's compassionate, which means he feels. In fact, the word compassionate comes from the same word as, word as womb, He's, he's compassionate. He feels as fiercely towards you as a mother does to her child. That's a pretty fierce love. I remember when I, I went home in tears about something a teacher had said. My mum my went into kind of, who's very mild, very gentle lady. She went into kind of Queen Bodicea mode. <laughs> jumped, jumped on her old BSA bicycle, went into school and gave the headmaster what for. And I was slightly embarrassed, to be honest. But because but, it's that... Fierce, mother-like, don't lioness. You know, it brings out you're in a lioness, doesn't it? You can, you can cope with life and be a bit overwhelmed, but if somebody touches your kids, you're going to mash them. Do you know that, <laughs> that kind of feeling? <laughs> and uh, that's, a, that's the kind of word for God. He feels for us. He's not an unfeeling God. You're not a number. You're not unknown. He's got that mother-like, or, or you could say father-like, because I think fathers are much the same in that regard, father-like compassion. He's a feeling God. And then he's gracious. And gracious is, they're kind of a word pair. Compassion is the feeling bit and gracious is the action bit. He shows favour. I mean, a a God that felt like that but couldn't do anything would be much like us. You know, I I feel for things I can do absolutely zip about. Nothing. I'm powerless. But he's, he actually acts on those feelings. He's, he's gracious. And that means he shows favour. Some of these Egyptian gods, you had to kind of earn it. 
And we can get into that mentality sometimes, can't we? We come to pray and think, well, I've been quite good this week and, and I've given to charity and I haven't sworn too many times and I've, I've been quite nice to my children and I haven't you know, got angry with the pet. And so therefore I, I kind of deserve, no, we deserve nothing. It's all gracious. God shows favour. He rest, like the, the Israelites, they've done nothing really. But he, he, he shows undeserving love to those who call out to him. I'm so pleased. That's what God is like. And then we saw his slow to anger, which was a fun week because um, we practice making cross faces. You can do it at home. You can do it in the mirror. Uh, Literally, in the Hebrew, it means God is long-nostrilled. I I love that. I'm I'm not a massive scholar, and I never did Hebrew. I did three days Hebrew, and then they dropped me. You had to do a test, and I, I showed no aptitude whatsoever. So I got sacked from the Hebrew class, which is a great relief to all. So, uh, but, but I know enough to look in a book. And uh, God is long-nostrilled. And you know, you know, if you see an angry bull picture, his kind of nostrils flare. <clears throat> and, but whereas if he's self-controlled, he's, he's got long nostrils. God is, God is not one who loses his temper. He's really slow to anger. He's not volatile. You know, you know, do, you ever, do you know anybody that you kind of have to catch them in a good mood before you speak to them? I used to have a super... Well, I worked in, the, in benefits when I was about... Uh, how old was I? 20. And uh, there, there was some supervisors that you, you only put work past them after they'd been to a pub on a Friday. Because then they're in a good mood and they'll sign anything. And Because uh, so, they were just kind of touchy. They were, they were kind of flared nostril people. And, but God is not like that. He's patient. He's slow to anger. Which doesn't mean he never gets angry. It means God can get angry, but it's really hard to rile him. He's slow to anger. He's uncompromising towards evil. He'll punish sin one day, but he's really reluctant. He's He's not desiring that anybody be punished. He longs for people to come to him so he can forgive them. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Which, which we looked at. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind of word you might use in a... The nearest we have to it is marriage, which is a kind of... It's a legal thing, but it's a relationship as well. He's steadfast love. He's utterly committed to loving us. He's unfailing in his love. And it spills over... It spills out from who he is. He doesn't have... To, you know, sometimes you kind of think, well, we married each other. Let's be patient. And, and you have to sort things out a bit. It must be just me then. Okay, so, uh, uh, but no, with him, it, it just comes out of who he is. He doesn't even have to work at being unfailingly loving. It just is who he is, abounding in love and faithfulness, utterly trustworthy. He never lets go. He's just faithful and faithful and faithful forever. And he maintains his love to thousands. And that's a, we, we, we looked at that for a while. It's, it's the word you use of a century. He guards his love with us. The scope of his love is immeasurable. Thousands. It says he, he loves thousands. It doesn't mean if you get to kind of a thousand and one, he runs out of love. It's kind of the biggest number you could think of. The scope of his love is immeasurable. It's huge. And he forgives wickedness and rebellion and sin. That's another kind of word picture. It means he shoulders our sin. I, I love that kind of picture of God taking our sin on his shoulders. So you, you don't have to bear the weight of guilt or a bad conscience anymore because he places it on his shoulders. It's a great picture, exactly what Jesus did, wasn't it? When he went up towards the cross, 
pulling the cross on his shoulders, carrying away sins for all who call out to him. It's amazing, amazing. And then, then we looked at how he ultimately will punish sin. And we, and we looked at how God is, that mystery of God's utter justice and holiness and his mercy. It's a mystery, isn't it? How God can be utterly ruthless towards sin and at the same time completely merciful. And we saw how, how it says he punishes sins to the third and fourth generation, but he shows mercy to thousands. And we saw that God, God is completely just, but how he's kind of leans towards mercy. If it was a scale, he leans towards mercy. And really that, that kind of tension between the two is only, only is resolved at the cross of Jesus. Where, where God, God, God satisfies his justice as Jesus willingly takes on the responsibility for our sins and shows his mercy at the same moment. It meets at the cross. So that's a kind of long, long-winded summary, I know, so for, forgive me. But I wanted to get to this. How are we supposed to respond to all this? If, if God is really like that, it's pretty wonderful. I mean, you could spend ages looking and, and look, looking up the cross-references and doing a word search in, in your Bible, Googling di- the different words. There's so much in the Bible. So many times this passage is quoted elsewhere as well. But, but how are we supposed to respond to that kind of thing? And, and I just want to mention kind of three things, uh, really. And, and the first is this. We're supposed to worship him. <laughs> I know that's kind of obvious, but that's what, that's what Moses did. When, when God kind of... Read out his, I guess it wasn't just a kind of list. There must have been some revelation to Moses, something that went into his head and into his heart as well. And, and Moses' response was this in Exodus 34, verse 8. He bowed down to the ground and worshipped. What, what else can you do when you realise what God's like but worship him? And, you know, corporate worship is very... It's great to see relatives doing half-term. Don't, don't get me wrong, that's absolutely fine. We're not legalistic. But coming together to worship is so important. Hebrews 10 says, don't, don't give up. It's easy to get into the habit of giving up, it says there. But, but it's much more than coming together to worship, although it's good to do that because we reinforce our knowledge and our, our awareness of who God is. But it's much more than that, uh, John, John Comer says this, John Mark Comer says this, worship is an entire life orientated around wonder and awe at the nature of God. I love that quote. It's an, it's an entire life lived before God, lived for, for God, a wonder and awe at him. It's good. I don't know whether we do it. And again, it's not a legalistic thing, but just to pause at some point in the day and, and acknowledge he's God. Just to have a pause. In the midst of the pressure of life and the work pressure, just to have a moment of pause and say, thank you that I'm not God. <laughs> thank, you that, thank you that you are. Just to acknowledge him, to remember him. That's, that's worship. And it's a response to who he is. And we're made for it, really. We're made as his people to worship him. And we, and we don't worship God to kind of make him love us. Sometimes we can think that. It's not a kind of lucky rabbit's foot. To, to ward off evil or to get on his good side. He's already good. He's already compassionate. He's already full of, of mercy towards us. We worship him because he's Yahweh. We worship him because he's always like that. He's always worthy of loving and delighting him. him. He's always worthy of just saying, God, it's me again. I've messed up at its, <laughs> at its lowest point. 
He's just worthy of worship. That's how we respond to God. And I don't know about you, I, I hope I respond to God like that till my dying day. Not because he's worth it. He's really worthy of our worship. <coughs> Do you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who, who calls himself an evangelist and a teacher and, and an apostle, he, I mean, he's got a brain the size of a planet. He wrote half the New Testament. First, first of all, primarily, he said, I, I worship. It's good. Well, I, well, I don't know what your job title is, chief manager of this, assistant, that, bottle washer, shelf filler. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Student. We've all, we've all got different roles in life. But here's the number one one, to be a worshipper. That's our, that's our primary identity, to be a worshipper. I wonder if it's yours. Well, maybe you're a reluctant worshipper or an occasional worshipper. <laughs> no, well, that's good, but let's just make it our primary identity as one of God's people, one of his children, to say, hey, firstly, before anything else and above everything else, I'm a worshipper of God. Here's the second, so what? How will we respond? Let's respond in worship. And it's the bit we read at the end is, is to live carefully. Be careful because God says, God says he's jealous. God being jealous? That doesn't seem quite right. It's an interesting uh, word. It says, the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Or some translations put it like this. God, who is jealous for his name. Have you ever thought about that? God is jealous. He's really, he's concerned about his reputation. God cares about his reputation. So we should live carefully. Don't know if you've ever thought, thought about that. It's a good thought to think about. So, in other words, how you and I live as Christian believers is linked somehow to God's reputation. I, I don't know how you, you know. I, I find some Christians really embarrassing. Uh, sometimes I find myself embarrassing, to be honest. But but so I I find some I can think, oh no, really, I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to see that on Facebook. I just think, oh oh oh, like, oh just makes me a bit cringy. But but you know, God bless us all. <laughs> and I'm sure God's having a chuckle and he's got broad shoulders and all that but God, God, how we live is actually linked to God's reputation <laughs> it's an interesting thought isn't it God, or to put it another way the Lord wants people to see what he's really like through how we live does that, does that make sense? God wants to show people what he's really like through how we, you and I, how we live. That's amazing, isn't it? See, see when, when Debbie and I got married, she took the family name, Thomas, common old name, there we are. Uh, and, and then when we had children, they, they took my name. Um, and, and, and you know how your kids act, sometimes you, you kind of embarrass you, it kind of reflects on them. And you, th you think, oh, they get into trouble. You think, oh, oh, I hope people don't think but well, I taught them to do that. You know, <laughs> we didn't make much of that, really. But you kind of represent the family, don't you? In a, in a funny kind of way. But in a much more significant way, God's people are called by his name. We're supposed to, we've taken on the family name. We're supposed to represent him. Now, that's a huge privilege, isn't it? In the New Testament, in, in the epistle to Peter, it says, we were once not a people, we, we were kind of nobodies, but we've become somebodies. We've become the people of God. So that's, that's kind of a promotion, isn't it? We, we, we were nobodies, but we've become somebodies. We're named 
by the name of Christ. We're Christians. We represent God. But it's also a great privilege, but it's a huge responsibility, isn't it? Oh, crumbs. We represent God. That's, that's a huge privilege, massive responsibility. And it means we should be careful how we live. If you think about it, let me put it on this. Be careful because you're the only Bible some people read. That's a, good, that's a good sentence, really, isn't it? Be careful, because for some people, you're the only Bible they read. We carry his name. Let me give you a couple of verses just to underline that. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, 9 and 10. It says this, If you keep the commands of the Lord, then all peoples of the earth will see that you're called by the name of God. That's great. In other words, if, if, you, if you live like God wants you to, people will see it. And what will they see? They'll see the name, the character of God on you. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If, famous verse, if my people who are called by my name, called by my character, you could say. And then it goes on to talk about humbling themselves and praying. Or Isaiah 43, verse 7. I'll bring my sons and daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. I created them to show what a wonderful God I am. And that's continued into the New Testament as well. And they, they talk about suffering for the name and representing the name of Jesus. Do you know, we got the name Christians initially because people looked like were running around living like mini Christs. It, was, it wasn't a kind of privileged name. It was supposed to be an insult. Oh, you mini Christ. It was, it was, that's how it started. It was non-believers saying, oh, these people are living like Christ. What, but what, what an amazing kind of... And it, then it became a badge of honour. We're living like Jesus Christ. We're representing his name. We bear his name. So let's be careful. He's a jealous God. That's why Ephesians 4, it says, live a life worthy. It's, not, it's supposed to be a huge privilege to represent Christ, to show something of his character. And then lastly, let's mimic, we need the Holy Spirit's help in this, don't we? To mimic what God is like to the world. We've seen, we've seen something of what God is like during the, the few times I've preached on this. We're called to put his name on display to our neighbours, to our fellow students, to where we are at college or our workmates. Just, in other words, to reflect a little bit of what Yahweh, what Jesus is like. So if you're a compassionate person, when someone needs someone to feel for what they're going through, you're actually showing what God is like to them. They may not know that. They may just think you're very kind, and that's fine. That's a step forward. But you're putting on display what God is like when you're compassionate to another. When you're gracious... To someone when you think, but you're gracious towards them, rather than doing what you feel like doing, then, then you're putting on display something of what God is like. When, when we're a patient person, when you feel like being really impatient, when you're patient, you're showing something of the character of God. When you're abounding in love towards others, and that was Jesus' number one commandment, wasn't it? <laughs> to, to love God and to love others. 
When you're, when you're faithful, when you show stickability and reliability, when you're faithful, oh, it's, it feels so boring to be faithful, doesn't it? To keep sticking at something, keep going and going and going. You think, oh, I'm getting weary of this. No, when you're faithful, you show something of the character of God, who is the ultimate one at being faithful. When, when you believe in and insist on fairness to those who are experiencing unfaithfulness, when you advocate someone who needs some justice, needs some, 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 something that's fair in their life, you're showing something of a God who's a God of justice. And when you lean towards mercy, when you could be just, but you, you show mercy to someone, you're showing something of the love of God. What? Isn't that a fantastic role to play? <laughs> it's challenging, massively challenging, but ultimately thrilling. And we don't have to do it on our own, because that's why he sends his spirit. So Gordon's doing a, a series at the moment on the gifts of the Spirit, but it's also the, the fruit of the Spirit is, is producing in us something of the character of God. Love, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, mercy. We're representing him. What a privilege to carry his name. Amen? Can I pray for us? And then we'll, uh, we'll call it quits for the morning. But Yeah, thank you. Thank you for what you're like. Thank you for this incredible passage, Father. Thank you for what you are like. Uh, open our, or we, we kind of looked at it in our heads, but op- open our hearts. Give us revelation of what you're like. And thank you for this massive privilege you've given us of representing you to a world that needs to know what you're really like. A world that kind of likes to accept this and reject that and make up their own version of who you are. Lord, help us to represent you well. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Increase your fruit in our lives, Holy Spirit, that we would show you to others through the way we live and interact with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.